Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want. Plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor and, – and actually – this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, good to see you, sir. Here's your trivia question of the day. What was the number one song in America the last time Florida State's basketball team was ranked in the top five in the AP poll? The answer is? I have no uh, idea. Nor do I. It's probably Elvis, for all I know. Well, I mean, if you had your druthers, you'd wish that it was Air Supply or Chicago, but this even predates them. Yeah, this is earlier. Yeah, this is earlier. <laughs> so maybe we'll look that up and find that out before the show continues. we got a great show lined up. It is a great day because the football schedule is out, and so now we can plan everything accordingly. But and the one thing we wanted didn't happen. Oh, no. The, well, the one thing you and I wanted didn't happen. It might have been number two on my list because, number one, I do happen to have an open week that coincides with my daughter's birthday. So well, I'm allowed, to stay, lucky. I'm allowed lucky. to stay in the family for another year. But I'm referring to at the tail end, there's a basketball tournament in Charleston that overlays the next to last game. And we were kind of hoping it was somewhere it, close so we could drive back and forth. Nobody but, cares. Uh, but it okay. didn't work well. It didn't work out. Sorry. So we knew we were playing West Virginia. We're not going to do the schedule game, but here's what you got. We'll break it into, well, I'll just go game by game. And then Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will break this down a little bit next segment. Also, by the way, before I get into the schedule, legendary uh, FSU Seminole Hugh Durham is going to join us. You know, we we told you we'd have him on every time FSU gets in the top five. I'm just hoping it's not another 47, 48 years <laughs> for us to have him on again. So hopefully Leonard makes this an annual occurrence so we can have Hugh on more regularly. But it's been since the early 70s, and he'll join us a little bit later. So we know we're opening up Labor Day weekend against West Virginia in Atlanta. The only travel thing I'll point out, two travel things. One, Comic-Con in Atlanta, crazy. So make your hotel reservations accordingly. Well, the West Virginia crowd will fit right in. That's two. Yeah, so I should have listed that. <laughs> Number three, don't assume it's a night game. Last year that game was Alabama and Duke was an afternoon game. So, And number four, don't bring a sofa. Okay. Because of West Virginia? Yeah. I got you. Um, next week, Samford, home opener. Haven't seen it announced, but the FSU Hall of Fame festivities will be that Friday night, I'm sure, as is always the case. Next weekend at Boise State. For me personally, Keith, um, 
Never been to Idaho, so I can check that one off the list, provided I make it to September 19th. I just want to see a blue field. Now, I have seen a blue field before, but that was way back in the 70s when I didn't know how to work a real color television. Understand. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, the next week is the open week. So people are going to look at the schedule and say, why are we taking the open week in week four? And the answer to that is simply by choice because the other option is to tell the league, yes, we are comfortable playing an ACC road opener that week, which would have been three out of the first four games of the Mike Norvell era in four weeks away from home. And so I think they said, let's regroup. Let's go back. Let's have an extra week before opening on the road in the ACC the next week at NC and State. And let's do what Mr. Block wants to do, and let's open the season a week earlier moving forward so that we can have two open weeks during the season. But that's another conversation for another day. It is. I may – well, we may get there by the time I finish the schedule. So you've got uh, one home game in the month of September at Samford. You've got an open week at the end of September, a little earlier than what you'd ideally like, but I just explained the reasoning. You go to NC State on October 3rd. Clemson at home on October 10th. Wake Forest at home on October 17th. That'll be family weekend, by the way. At Louisville on October 24th. Pitt comes to town for the first time since the early 80s. 1982, to be specific, I think. It's been so long, and this actually goes two years before that, but yes, 82 they were here, that uh, when Pitt was, was coming here more regularly, I guess a couple times in a few years, the gentleman to my right actually caught a football thrown by Dan Marino in a football game. And returned it 55 yards and got tackled from behind by an offensive lineman. 55 yards? 55 yards. I knew you had picked him off. I didn't hey, Yeah, 55 yards. And I got out of bounds with two seconds left in the half because I was looking at the scoreboard and knew to get out of bounds as I was getting chased down by the offensive lineman, of course. And Billy Capice came in and quick a field goal going into halftime. Nice job. Fist bump for that. Yeah, did not know about that. that history, how about Jason? that? What was the cumulative total of your punt return yards in your career? Uh, 26 returns, 84 yards, long of 12. <laughs> so you almost, in one INT return, got up to that total punt return yardage. Thank you for bringing that up. I'll insert Keith's line now. Where did I play collegiate football? And the answer is nowhere. So we'll move on on the schedule here. At Louisville, October 24th, October 31st, Pitt. I'm repeating myself. November 7th at UM. No, by the way, UM got a quarterback and a defensive end this weekend. And a new offensive coordinator. And and we couldn't block UM's defensive ends last year, so that's uh, going to be now trouble. They now have the two top returning career, uh, season sack guys. One, pardon me, one of their own and the boy from Temple. Yay! We're just going to put nine guys in tight at the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback's going to hand to a running back, and we're going to try and go two yards at a time. Well, I guess we need to go three yards at a time to keep the chains moving. I'm kidding. I am interested to see how we attack UM. And on a more serious note, and I've said this before, the way that rivalry's gone, Florida State has Better pretty good success down there. in South Florida. Miami's had good success up here. Boston College on November 14th. Uh, then at Syracuse on a Thursday night. So it's been a couple years since FSU's had a Thursday nighter. So BC at home, then at Cuse, which uh, the downside is it's a short week. The upside is you get a couple extra days before playing Florida at home on November 28th. So I don't know uh, if FSU had a choice in that, but I think if you told them they were going to have to play a Thursday night, they'd take the two extra days and be happy to apply them towards Florida. The other initial reaction is you don't have back-to-back road games at any point this season. You have at Boise State and at NC State in a row, but there's an open week in between. between, So there's not two consecutive weeks where you're on the road. So thoughts? Uh, I like it. Uh, I think there's enough 
meat to the schedule. There always is with with Clemson and Florida and, and Miami if they get back to where they are. I think West Virginia, though they won't be highly ranked uh, of late, they are respected. More importantly, it's you know a kickoff game with the financial uh, incentives involved. As we've discussed, you, you know you just almost have to play that every three or four years if you have the opportunity. Get to go to Boise, first time trip. Uh, to me, that's what college football really means is when you get to visit places you've never been before. And uh, I think everything else lines up fairly reasonable. Uh, obviously, when you're coming off a season like FSU did, you're just looking for wins and looking for ways to win. And, and, and you know, there aren't – I guess maybe you would be disrespectful and call Sanford a little bit of a – we know we might win that one. But everyone else you got to be competitive with. We almost didn't last time they were here. I understand. Uh, but everyone else you've got to be competitive with, and you're under a new – coach you're with a new system uh and there should be a lot of excitement going into the season i like i like the schedule to your point about two bye weeks in here we had two bye weeks last year so you've just queued me up the saturday before labor day is august 29th you could play college football on that day if you change the rules it does not mean that you have to back up the report date by a week and have guys report July 27th. You just set the same amount of dates of practice for, for everybody, everybody, even if it means reducing it by five practices. And coaches will bitch. It's what coaches do. They'll always want more practice, even if they had 482 practices before their first game. But they'd be happy with 483. Exactly. So you could you could still have pe- – nobody reports before August 3rd, but you open on August 29th. That's four weeks of camp. Then you play on August 29th. You play you don't have to play a big a big dog. You can play the guarantee game, i.e. Samford in FSU's case this year. You have a game under your belt. Then the next week you're playing West Virginia and then as the season unfolds you get two bye weeks. It's not that hard a problem to fix. Agreed. And you sold me. Well, it's just it's common sense. Well, there's your mistake. I know. That's, and there we go. I do get frustrated when they say, well, we can't start the season earlier because then players would report on July 15th. No. no just no. tell them when to report. Yeah, just change the rule on when they report. It's a pretty simple problem to fix. Anyway, it's not a two-by week year because of the number of Saturdays between Labor Day and the first week in Labor December. Day. Yes. Yeah, Labor year, rather. Or uh, leap year. Leap, leap year, year, yeah. That's right just an extra day, not an extra week. So anyway, that's the schedule. Bob Ferrante will weigh in on it. We knew who they were playing. Now we know when they're playing them. I guess another difference, you know, we've we've seen the last couple of years where Florida State has put a guarantee game before Florida or had an open week, and you don't have that this year. You just have the two extra days with a Q's Thursday nighter. Uh, and that's all I got. Clemson at home. At least Clemson's not bringing back Travis E. Oh, yeah, they no, are. they are. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah never mind. Uh, but their backup quarterback won't be with them got that going for us and there's one other positive thing to point out you know you do have to play games in november away and if you're in the acc that means you could be in boston or pittsburgh but we're in syracuse that's an indoor stadium this is a very astute observation on your behalf as the guy who stands on the sideline there is not i thought you might there is not a cold, and, and the other November road game is at Miami, so there is not a cold weather game on the schedule. Look at you, Mr. Block. Until the first Saturday in December when we're in Charlotte. For the ACC championship yeah. game. And that's in the 50-50. I will stand in a blizzard if we're in Charlotte <laughs> the first Saturday in December this year. I'll come stand down there. No, I won't. Um, 
the footnote on Syracuse, and our listeners have listened to us complain about this, but when we went there two years ago, first time we had played there in September. September, holy moly. Makes sense, but, I mean, it was the warmest game ever in a dome because the temperature inside mirrors the temperature outside, so it was 95 outside. It was like 90 inside the dome. Because it's a dome with an inflatable roof, you can't open windows or anything. It was stale air and... There's no air conditioning. Yeah, so now it'll be the opposite. It'll be... 22 outside so that will be the cold weather game because it'll be 48 inside no 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 everybody will get there early and they'll breathe heavily and the temperature of the stands will bring it up to 52 all right good show ahead we'll talk more fsu oh you go ahead this is the fourth interruption of this first segment mr jones you forgot the world record uh that's where i was going next but go ahead this is what happens when we don't plan Exactly. The Which world's largest everything. mimosa? Yes. Yes, it was at Madison Social this past weekend. I did not partake, but I saw plenty of um, pictures, plenty of comments about it. Good to know we got a, a world record holder at Madison Social. This week, in honor of uh, Florida State being number five, got a $5 menu at all the establishments down in uh, College Town. Uh, that includes $5 BLT dip. I'm talking about on Saturday leading up to the next basketball game. $5 pretzels at Township, $5 small cheese pizza over at Centrale. So uh, it's an 8 o'clock tip. Is that right? Against that is Notre? correct. That so is correct. You got time to uh, – Notre Dame's coming to town. Uh, go down, enjoy the festivities uh, in College Town, and then head to the game. You're going to interrupt me again. Can we finish this segment? No. I liked the way Matt did the ratio of bottles of champagne to gallons of orange juice. So I got to ask – Whose social media were you on this week that you know this? I was informed of this. I did not discover it on my own. Do disclose the ratio. As was explained to me, Matt, I'm sorry if I don't get it exactly right, but I was told there were 100 bottles of champagne and 15 gallons of orange juice. It was something like that. I like that kind of ratio. That ratio speaks to me. It was something like that. It also was a, I mean, it was a fat to get there. It was a... All right, we're 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 out of time for this segment before Keith interrupts me again, and we'll come back and have our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante join us right after this. You got me thinking that I'm wasting my time. Don't bring me down. No, 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 no. Ooh, ooh. I'll tell you once more before I get up the floor. Don't bring me down. Front row no. On 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. And it is time to open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our Osceola insider. Bob Ferrante is on the horn. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? We are great. Tell you what, we're staying busy, even though uh, we're out of season for football. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the schedule with you here momentarily. But I feel like we need to give basketball its due. I don't mean to be pessimistic, KJ, but I'm kind of, you know, when you're as good as they've been, it feels like there's got to be a couple hiccups here and there. But let's not talk about hiccups. Let's talk about top five since this has only happened once in my lifetime, and it's when I was a toddler, Bob. I was going to ask, when was Bob around? Would this happen in Bob's lifetime? That's a good question. We'll start there, Bob. It it was negative by a couple years. It was negative by a couple (laughs) years. Understood. We have... 
it was very jarring to me. I pulled up while I was waiting for the polls to come out on Monday. I pulled up the AP history, and you can do it by school. And you look at it, and it tells you how many times your school has been ranked number one or in the top five or top ten and historically. And when you look at it, it's pretty jarring or it gives you an appreciation maybe of how good a job Leonard is doing. When you look at what Florida State has done as a program since its inception in 1948, there's not a lot of ranked teams in there overall. So this is pretty much the heyday we're in right now. Yeah, Florida State's played some really incredible basketball. I think especially late in games these past couple weeks, they are – finishing out games where, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting being on Twitter and watching fan reaction during games and watching fan reaction in the stands. There's a lot of nervousness, I think, as Florida State, you know, plays well in spurts, has troubles in spurts, kind of the normal college basketball thing. But you seem to know that Florida State is going to finish games incredibly well. They did it up at Wake with defense. They did it against Virginia a big corner three from Anthony Polite, and then on the offensive and defensive end, finishing off that game. Miami, same thing with MJ Walker, that big run late to tie it up and then to win it in overtime. So we're seeing, again, that trademark defense and depth from Florida State just wearing out teams. And, you know, right now you have to say Florida State's the class of the ACC. Sounds good to say that, doesn't it? I mean, granted, we've still got more than half the schedule to go, especially with the expanded schedule, but. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I mean, it's nice when you look at it, and we knew on Saturday all the teams that lost in front of them, and you start projecting, you say, well, they're going to have to work hard to not put FSU in the top five. I want to expand, Bob, on what you just said about how they're finishing. This has been something that, and I don't have the stat. I should have taken the time to pull the stat. It's been a year or two since I've seen it, but it was Leonard Hamilton's record more or less in either one possession games or maybe four points or less, something like that, over the last 15, 20 years. And and he was better than Coach K and Roy Williams and about everybody. And now we're up to, what, nine straight overtime wins. And I heard somebody say that Florida State hasn't lost a conference overtime game since 08. So at some point we have to give him credit for being able to manage in tight game, end game situations. Yeah, I think Chuck Walsh has the stat at, I believe, 36-9 and nine since the snare three-pointer up at Durham. I believe that was 2012, right? So, so yeah, I mean, this team – Again, I think we've seen good halftime adjustments. We've seen, even though Leonard likes to call this team inexperienced, I would say it's inexperienced with an asterisk of they're learning to play together. Maybe as a team, you've got some veterans, you know, like a Dominic Olnicek, who's a graduate transfer. You've got a Mike Osborne, who's a Rice transfer. They're playing really well together, and they're figuring out how to close out games. I think that's kind of a trademark of a very successful team. You are analyzing and observing maybe as the game's going on and figuring out where a weakness is, how you can take advantage of a tired player on the other team. So there are certain inherent advantages that Florida State has on a game-to-game basis. And I, I think beyond the ability to have three guards that are better than any three guards in the conference, that you have the kind of depth to just take over those last few minutes of games and, and get a win. I would make the argument, Bob, and this is kind of a twofold one, is this is being done but not with the way Leonard wants this team put together. I would make the argument with uh, Koprovitz out, you know, he wants to get 20, 22 minutes out of his seven-footers. He's getting six or eight out of Dominic, and that's it. And I'm wondering when, when Balsha gets healthy – 
and he goes back to trying to get them time, are they going to are they going to back up a little bit before they move forward again, or is he wise to just stay with what he's going, what he's got, and forget about try, trying to even use the seven footers? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I think to start, this coaching staff has shown adaptability that you can win with a smaller lineup, that you can win because for a few nights there in December, Balsha was one of your better players on the court statistically. He's got the kind of post move to, you know, give you. 12 to 15 points or even more on any given night. I think you welcome him back with open arms, but it gives you the opportunity to not rush him back at all. There's no real pressure now or in February. And I think if he's ready to come back, let's say two weeks before the ACC tournament, that's, that's great. That's ideal to get him back in the rotation and to shake off that rust for the postseason. But if this is if this is a longer term thing and he just can't make it back, then I do think you just roll with what you have. I still think you have a very deep and talented team. Um, now, can you lose on any given night? Sure, the ACC has, has shown us that. But I I like the talent that Florida State has. I like the adaptability that the coaching staff has displayed each night too. I like the way Trent Forrest manages this ball club. Uh, he's not flashing. He's not going to get the attention of folks that don't pay attention to Florida State basketball. He doesn't score 18 and dish nine assists a ball game, but he runs the show, and you can tell. And when push comes to shove, I don't think there's anybody else I want taking a little six or eight foot runner in the lane or or at the free throw line needed to make the front end of a one on one. Than, than, than the kid from Chipley, and he continues to move up. He's right at 1,000 points. He's right at 500 rebounds. The stat, the, uh, the um, steals and the assists, you know, he's going to be – the only other statistically more gifted player across all measures is Bob Sura right now than Trent Forrest. Yeah, I, I think, you know, who's your MVP? The argument is it's Trent. He's the guy that makes you go. You could say that the best player is Devin Vassell because statistically he gives you the production each night. But I, I don't know if I want anybody else besides Trent running the point and getting you in and out of half court sets. Um, being the guy who chooses when it's time to, to drive inside, um, being the defender who can, you know, take away one of the best players on the opposing team. So I, I would hate to see what happens if you remove a guy like Trent, let's definitely hope that he is healthy, you know, for the long haul and that of course they can make quite a run with him. You mentioned Vassell and I'm gonna table a lengthy conversation on him, except to say that the last few games have sort of indicated that any hopes I had that he was going to be back next year have kind of gone out. Yeah, there's the been too much improvement yeah. uh, in his regard. Yeah. Slow your roll. Slow your <laughs> roll, Devin. All right, FSU gets Notre Dame on Saturday night. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola Insider. You can subscribe online at theosceola.com. Try a seven-day free trial or subscribe for just six ninety-five a month. Your source for Seminole Sports devoted to FSU sports and fan experiences. Uh, Bob, let's uh, shift gears, and uh, I, I guess we do. Do you have general thoughts about the schedule now that it's been laid out? I mean, we know we, we've known for a while who FSU was going to play. It's kind of intriguing to have Pitt on the home schedule. Uh, you know, you have to go back just about to the Keith Jones era to say Pitt long came time, to long time. I mean, so it's a long time ago. Um, you know, and then I just thinking about it at, at Miami, Florida State, really, that series has been better 
at Miami almost, and Miami's been better in Tallahassee. But then, lo and behold, Miami gets a quarterback and a defensive end over the weekend, so I'm not really excited about that. But anything jump out to you? You know, I, I think with Florida State, the question that we've had in the last few years is how well does the team start? You know, regardless of who the coach is, it's building momentum and confidence in what you're doing. And, you know, Florida State hasn't really started off all that well the last few years, whether, you know, it was Alabama or Virginia Tech. Um, you know, it, things just haven't played out the way I think the coaches would have drawn it out. But you look at the opportunity that West Virginia brings at year two, um, you know, for Neil Brown up at West Virginia. How does Florida State play in what really should be a good atmosphere? You have to think it'll be somewhere around a 60-40 crowd. West Virginia travels well, but Florida State wants to get off to a really good start there. And, you know, this non-conference will really show how this team can develop and compete against the ACC. I have said for a long time, at the end of the, the Florida game, this feels like sort of a, a fixer-upper type of roster, but one where Florida State can really compete with anyone not named Clemson within the ACC. So that kind of gives you the optimism that, you know, really there are a lot more wins there than there are losses, and we haven't seen Florida State be super competitive within the conference for the last three years. They need to show yet again that, that they're one of the alpha dogs in the league. You're right about the first three games. You've got West Virginia, then Sanford at home, and at Boise State, and it's not unlike this past year. You're going to come out of that three being two and one. You're going to be one and two. If you're three and oh, people won't know what to do because the one year you left out there was that debacle at Louisville in 2016 that was part of a not good start for FSU, too. They were three and two that year after the loss to Carolina. Well, we've got plenty of time to dissect the schedule, so we won't dive deeper on it uh, right now. I do want to have another, uh, or I do have another football question. That is, I guess we need to get used to this idea that uh, in the Mike Norvell regime, you know, part of his pitch to coaches is uh, upward mobility, if you will, or a chance to to get promotions, move on, what have you. And and so T.J. Rushing was here for what a month, a few weeks, and he's already moved on, and he's looking for a new DB coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to think of whether I liked the T.J. Rushing era or the Billy Napier era as assistant coaches at Florida State. They were both here for zero games, both, both very productive assistant coaches. I Look, it's, it's a weird thing about college football, and I think coaches are just looking for, sometimes, some of them, the, the best salary and the best opportunity for their career. And T.J. is a young assistant coach who, think he has a good opportunity in the SEC, and from all reports, it's money way above what he was going to receive at Florida State. I think it's understandable what he's doing, and you know, a lot of people have have been hurt. I think mostly by the fact that it's Jimbo Fisher, you know, poaching an assistant from Florida State. But Mike Norvell is going to have this problem. He's had it at Memphis. He's going to have it throughout his time at Florida State. There wouldn't be assistant coaches in demand because they are good recruiters. They're good developers of talent. I think the question is how fast does Coach Norvell move? Is he looking at an assistant from his tree from the from the Memphis or Arizona years, Arizona State years where he's worked with them? Is he looking elsewhere? It's kind of hard to figure, although I think a lot of Florida State fans are kind of hoping and looking at Terrell Buckley and saying, 
is that potentially the guy? Is now the time to welcome Terrell Buckley back? When 10 years ago, he was a very valuable GA who helped to develop Galaxy Xavier Rhodes. So that's one obvious area where I think, you know, Coach Norvell may look, but it's a very attractive job, I think, because Mike Norvell has taken so many assistants and elevated their resume by what he's shown at Memphis. I think it'll do the same thing here at Florida State. I'll just make the comment, guys, and, and don't even need a response, but you used to never see this. You know, once a coach accepts a position, he, he served out his contract unless he got fired a year later or two years later. But I want to go back to a point that Bob made, and, and based on everything I've read, and I may be a little clueless, I haven't seen the numbers per se. But I can almost assure you that if or when those numbers came come out, it, this is going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in difference. This is not going to be ten or twenty or fifty thousand dollar raise that he took, and that's just the way the landscape is right now. Do we know, Bob? By the way, and I'm sure it's been uh, requested. Do we know the coaches' salaries for Florida State's new staff at this point? No, we've requested the contracts. We we purely only know that the pool for the ten assistants under Coach Norvell will be five point five million. So it's really up to him as he hires to establish a salary per coach. But if you even looked at, you know, dividing 5.5 by 10 and saying that rushing would get on the lower end because he's just a position coach and not a coordinator, say he's making 400 to 500,000 at Florida State potentially. What if Test M came in for 100,000, 150,000? possibly even more than that, you can see why an assistant coach with no real ties to Tallahassee or Florida State until the last three, four weeks would say, it it makes sense for me and my family to go elsewhere. Plus, you multiply that by two or three years in the length of contract, and you're getting some pretty substantial dollars. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can fault somebody for that decision. Let's uh, jump real quickly to baseball. I think practice begins later this week, if I'm not mistaken. And you have some news, and you've got it up on, on the Osceola right now. Uh, you published the story. Um, I guess new lighting is in order, or, or fill us in? Yeah, I think this had long been kind of desire of 11. You know, going back to a couple of years ago when I asked him about the scoreboard, I said, hey, what's next? What's on your radar? And he said lights. You know, they, they really wanted to improve the lighting at Hauser. And I think that's to improve in a number of areas. One, to allow hitters to see the ball a little bit better. Um, second, for television, this allows ESPN to do primetime games, um, whether that's a ESPN broadcast or an ACC network broadcast. And then, you know, for fans in the stands, for fans on TV, you're really going to enjoy that. I think the, the viewing experience will be better. So, yeah, we'll see Florida State baseball open up on Friday with their first practice and uh, opening day on Valentine's Day. Nothing says I love you like a day at the ballpark, right? Here, honey. <laughs> Have a hot dog. KJ and I took our uh, spouses to the leadoff dinner last year on Valentine's yes, Day. Yes, we did. That's how romantic we are. And, and to their credit, they were great sports and they enjoyed it, and it was a good time. Well, that's how well we married. That's so, true. Bob, appreciate it, sir. Take care, guys. All right, here's our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. And we're going to take a break. We should. I feel like... Silly humor is forthcoming, but we'll just take a break instead and spare our listeners. All right, back with more Front Row Knowles after this. We got everything you want. How do we know the names? We are the people that you find. 
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We've already talked some basketball, but Keith, uh, as you know, it's not every day, not every year that Florida State wins. Or every decade. The, yeah, or every decade. Uh, hopefully we're changing all that right now. It's been about every half century or so that FSU is in the top five. And the last time FSU was there, as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together, the last time it happened, the head coach was none other than Hugh Durham, who's on the line right now. Coach, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy. I, well, we're all happy. A whole bunch of us, coach. We're, we're all happy. We didn't think it would take so long. I'm sure, uh, you know, you probably didn't contemplate at the time, but I know as a starting point that, that you still stay closely in tune with Florida State basketball, and you've enjoyed watching what Leonard has, has built here uh, during his uh, his tenure at FSU. I have, and, and he, he, he's done a terrific job. It seems like it gets better. It, 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 you know, I'm not a wine drinker, but – He's got some fountain of youth secret, no question, that's that's working for him. I'm not convinced that if I shaved my head, I would look any younger. I think I'd just look uglier, so I'm going to keep the hair while I can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I might make both of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's let's um, go back. So the the top five ranking that was achieved on your watch was actually the subsequent season to playing in the in the national championship final against. UCLA um you know for those who don't know and and longtime Florida State fans can appreciate but I said to you when we talked earlier looking back and reading about it it's phenomenal to me to think about Florida State going on a run that involves beating Kentucky in what ended up being Adolph Rupp's last game and then beating a young Dean Smith in North Carolina and then facing John Wooden in UCLA in his prime I mean it was their sixth straight championship as it turned out I mean, that's a murderer's row right there and quite the footnote uh, for some Florida State basketball history with that run that your team had back then. What do you recall about it? Well, it, it was a great run. and it, it, Of course, we, we started in Knoxville where we played Eastern Kentucky, and that, that was the closest game that we had up until the final game with UCLA. We we had a chance to play Minnesota, and they were Big Ten. And then we went to the finals with, with uh, uh, of the Mideast region up in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, playing Kentucky. And, and that was meaningful to our our, our team and, and Florida State. And it, it had a, a little extra meaning to me because being from Kentucky, I, I was a, a Kentucky fan growing up, and more does idolize Coach Rupp, and, and that ended up being his, his last year. It was a great win for us, uh, and that, you know, that just set the table for the Final Four out in, in Los Angeles. And we, we played North Carolina, and, and everybody thought it was going to be a, a North, North Carolina-UCLA final because we were in there with with the University of Louisville, Louisville, uh, Denny Crum it was the first year he was the head coach at Louisville, had been the assistant at UCLA. So they were playing uh, 
for the, the at that time the West Championship, and we were playing for the East. We being in the the Mid East, they were the East, and and uh, we jumped out and, and played really well and shot the ball early and got a got a, a big lead, like maybe twenty two points with nine to go, and uh, then we probably went into what you would call a prevent defense, and in for the those of that are listening or, or football fans, they they know that the prevent defense often prevents you from winning. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Fortunately, we we held on, and that took us into the finals with UCLA. Uh, we jumped out to the lead, got into foul trouble with our our big guys. Walton dominated the, the, the last ten minutes of the first half. We came out in the second half and. and and, and played pretty good, uh, and they ended up beating us eighty-one seventy-six. So, you know that was great, and and that's what kind of set the stage for our, our number five ranking the following year. Coach, I know one of the things that you were most proud about was really the comp- comp- composition of that ball club. Uh, Florida State uh, was one of the early schools in, in the South that had African-American players. And, and I know you had uh, Ron King and some others that are that are just institutions in Florida State basketball. Uh, but I know that was very important to you. Well, I thought it was, in, it was important, but it was not just important to me. It was important uh, for, for a lot of reasons. But, uh, that year, uh, we we signed Lenny Hall. It was in the spring of '66, and two two important signings happened that spring. Number one, it probably would be Dave Cowan. Dave was from Newport, Kentucky, and and uh, he went on. He, he came to Florida State and, and and had a terrific impact on the success of our program, as did Lenny. Although Lenny only played three minutes, and that's a long story in itself because of injury, but that enabled us to continue to recruiting. And you mentioned Ron King. At that time, he was probably the most nationally known player that we'd ever signed. He was Mr. Basketball out of Kentucky, uh, broke Cliff Higgins' record in the finals of the state tournament. His team lost the first game and then ran off, I don't remember exactly, maybe 29 in a row, and they won the state tournament. He got 44 in the final, and that was when there were no three-point shots. Uh, and he was like the sixth-ranked player in the country. And then Otto Petty came with him, and we recruited him a lot that spring. And finally I said, Ron, what are you going to do? And he said, Coach, what's Otto going to do? Otto and Ron played together at Central High School. I said, Otto's coming. He says, well, I'm coming. There you go. So, you know, <laughs> that was that was a real good day. It was like May the 20th. because that was the first time you could sign in 19, uh, you know, I think that was in 69. So, you know, that enabled us to, to, to recruit other good players and, if you've got a good team, there's more than likely. In fact, you have there's very few good teams that don't have a number of good players. 
Well, I know uh, Gene Deckerhoff and I had the opportunity to visit with Ron when we played at Louisville a couple of weeks ago, and he still has one thing. He may have lost his touch a little bit, although he would tell you he hasn't, but he's still got that smile, Coach. You can see him from a mile away. Oh, he does. He's the best shooter that I ever had a chance to work with. And, and uh, you know, if I could have taught a lot of guys to shoot like he did, we probably would have been in the top five. It wouldn't have been 50 years. I want to go back to that championship game matchup against UCLA. And by the way, you, you know what you mentioned, and this would certainly be abnormal nowadays. But basically, you was that a home game for UCLA? I mean, you're playing this thing in LA first of all, but the, but the beyond that, they're in the midst of their dynasty, and so you're playing against uh, Goliath. You're a pretty young coach, and you're going against John Wooden. So. How did you block that out, or, or what was the psychology of getting the team ready to play? Because you mentioned the foul trouble. Were it not for that, who knows if that doesn't have a different result? One of the approaches that, that we took is we played an up-tempo game. And a lot of people can say, well, are you going to try to slow it down? And, you know, the thought process that went into that is, all year, I'm talking to, about, to our guys about this is the way we play. This is the way we play. And and there was absolutely no way I was going to look those guys in the eye and say, hey, you know, we're here now. You know, I'm not sure we can, you know, we can play up-tempo with these guys. Because if I said that to our players, their confidence in me would have gone down and, and in a hurry. And they would have thought that, you know, I hadn't been straight with them all year. So we we went into the game thinking we got there playing aggressively on defense. We got there pushing the ball up the floor, you know, playing at a fast tempo. And that's the way we played. And uh, and that, that, that's how we went into the game. Uh, we were, we were going to go out there and, and, and you know, it, it, you know what – what got you to the dance, that's, that's what you come home with. But anyway, you know, in, in, you know, in a few minutes, that was probably you know, the most impactful thing that, that I can remember. We're talking with Hugh Durham, of course, former Florida State basketball coach, also basketball player in the uh, in the late 50s. Uh, And then I guess got into your coaching career right after that, maybe as a GA and and wound up coming back as head coach. As you as you uh, put your coaching mind to work right now, watching the current day Knowles play, what impresses you most about these 2019, 2020 Seminoles? Well, one of the we're talking about you know, on the court, because there is a story, and, and Leonard's story off the court is just as impressive, if not more impressive, as far as how they conduct themselves and what they do in the classroom. But on the floor, he gets a number of players that are that play hard. And I always, I, I, I always thought you get good players that play, play hard. You're going to win games. If you play together, you're going to win more games. And if you play hard and play together and make good decisions, you're going to play. You're going to win a lot of games. So that you know, I look out there and you can't put your finger on it. The one person that say, "Hey, this is the key guy." 
they've got so many and that come together they play hard and they almost have a, a coach's attitude and and that is they think about when I'll say this. This is kind of a sidebar. Nobody wants to win more than coach. Book that. Take that to the bank. Nobody wants to win more than a coach. No fan, not even a player. Because the only way a coach gets to be appreciated is to win games. A player can average 25 and 15 rebounds, and he's going to be a number one draft pick. Anyway, a coach is out there thinking about winning. That's what these players, that's what Leonard has been able to instill in those guys. Somehow he does this, and that's what makes him special. You know, those guys go out there and, hey, if it means that we, we all play defense, we do, we, we do what the game plan asks us to do, and we do it together. And, you know, when I watch those guys, that's what I see. Uh, and it kind of makes me feel really, really good because I'm, I'm so happy for Leonard because he's done a fantastic job. And, and Coach, I would echo that. His graduation graduation rate, uh, the camaraderie, because, uh, you know, I get to travel with the team and you're there courtside when you come over from Jacksonville. You get a firsthand look at it. I mean, this is a quality group of young men on and off of the court. And as they say, you know, players take on the temperament and the attitude and, and some of the values of their head coach. So it's a great testimony to Leonard. Well, it is. And it's, it's not just this group. You go back and, and, and you stop and think, and I say you, we're the audience, and, and you, you come up and, and you can't remember picking up the news, picking up the paper or, and watching on TV where you hear anything negative about Seminole basketball players. I mean, that, it's not just this group. It, it goes back in and, and the same thing in the classroom. But, you know, I think, I think the fact that we're ranked no, number five right now uh, makes everybody proud. And, and not only, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of depth to that pride. No question, and we're hoping that just as we're in the top five for the first time since back in your day, that maybe at the end of this year we'll get back to the Final Four for the first time uh, since your day. Hugh Durham, we appreciate well, some... The nice, nice thing about that, if, if that's accurate, and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, it's in Atlanta. <laughs> It'll be on our side of the continent. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely something that FSU fans could get to, and I agree, you can't you can't get the cart in front of the horse on that, but uh, it's going to be a fun ride, no question. And it comes down to matchups and being hot at the right time and all that. But uh, you guys certainly had a, had a run for the ages back in the early seventies. Congratulations on that and all the success too. I mean, should point out for people who don't know, not just over a decade here, but at Georgia, at, uh, at JU, a lengthy uh, coaching career, and uh, still going. We we appreciate the perspective, Hugh. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk Seminole basketball. Hugh Durham, legendary uh, FSU head coach and player. And, uh, Keith, you want to react to any? I, I, I just want to tell Coach that, we, you know, 
the one bottom line is he is a, a letter winner at FSU. He is a coach, but he's a letter winner at FSU. And uh, that's a fraternity that I'm privileged to be a part of, although on the football side. And, uh, Coach, we look up to folks like you. You've been a great inspiration to all sports uh, at Florida State University. Uh, thank you. We appreciate it. Hugh Durham, you'll see him. You see him a couple times a year if you go to FSU basketball games. Florida yeah, State. I'll be over there again. I, I, I don't know exactly when, uh, but I'll, I'll definitely be over there sitting next to one of my – teammate Larry Strom. Well, we're going to try to work on that, Coach. I know you're handicapped. I don't coach the players, but I help the officials. There you go. You and Joe Camps will make sure they know what they're doing. (laughs) Hey, and if this wasn't a family show, Coach, we'd ask you for some Gene Deckerhoff stories from when he broke in with you in the uh, the early 70s there, but but we won't put that on our airwaves right now. (laughs) Well, hey, Gene, he's an institution, so... You know, you can't say anything but good stuff about Gene. He's one of a kind, there's no question. And he started when Hugh Durham was the head coach for Florida State. All right, we'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles after this. I felt so good Like anything was possible Hit cruise control And rubbed my eyes The last three days And the rain was unstoppable Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. You want me to sing? No, I don't. A walk down memory lane, though. You want me to sing? That was the number one song in America, December 1st of 1972. Circa the last time FSU was in the top five. You know what else was up there? Soon to be number one, I Well, think. I know because I was told during the break, but I didn't know beforehand. And don't sing this one either. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Wherever he laid his hat oh, was stop. his home. More impressively... The Godfather. Ooh, ooh, this is the serious. Godfather, number one in terms of uh, the movies. Yeah, yeah. In terms that, of, yeah. How do you feel about horses' heads? That was a long time ago <laughs> for Florida State to be in the top five. I hope you enjoyed the show. We got a couple more minutes as we close it out. I do want to uh, say thank you to the good folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. You know the drill, uh, KJ. You can go visit Ron and his staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. They're at eleven ten Stuckey Avenue, also thirty two sixty nine Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. And the Tallahassee location is open on Saturdays from 8 a.m. till noon. And because the football schedule is out, we know which six Saturdays you're less likely to get a home improvement project taken care of this fall. So you might want to just go ahead and pay Ron a visit right now and knock some of these projects out. Going back to the schedule, Keith, we talked about it in the first segment, talked about it with Bob. You knew who Florida State was playing. I think, you know, we don't need to go week by week here. Here's the reality. Outside of Clemson, you can compete with everybody in the ACC. No question. Florida has back-to-back 10-win seasons, and and Dan Mullen has done some things. Now, you've got them here. And to me, so much of this season, I know there is a talent disparity between Florida State right now and what you see when you're watching Clemson and LSU or whoever the playoff teams are. But if you get – if the team is better coached, better schemed, 
It leads to a couple of early wins, and that leads to further buy-in. Confidence. And confidence. And if you get that, you know darn well from playing against Florida, your unbeaten team struggled like hell against Florida in 79. No question. So it, The you, rivalry game is always a toss-up. You can win any of those. Yeah. Same with Miami, even if Miami's down and you're favored, which sometimes happens. This is... Well, I won't say it. I don't know that I can be happy that Miami landed a couple of guys, but I did, in, in light of the fact that that appears to be an uptick and things are on the uptick here, I missed the Miami FSU days, and they may never come back. They probably never will come back to the way they were 87 to 93 it is, or the way FSU Florida was from 92. It is never to, in a conference's best interest for there to only be one dominant team. And Clemson, thank you, Tigers. Has, has carried the, the, the lantern, if you will, for the ACC the last four years, maybe five. Uh, but it's not in the ACC's best interest to only have Clemson making the playoffs or having the opportunity to make the playoffs. That's why we view the SEC the way we do, and that's why we penalize the Pac-12 the way we do. Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech, they've got to get back to where they were or on the uptick to where they were if we want the ACC to be recognized any further. No question. And that would only help with the TV contract scenario and carriage and all that stuff. The uh, the never-ending battle for the ACC to try and keep up with the Joneses who live in SEC territory. Speaking of TV, are you aware that this Boise State game, I don't know that it's 100% confirmed, but word is that's going to be a 12 noon Eastern kick which means we're going to play football at 10 a.m mountain time in boise so they say that's what we're looking at there so about that again i don't know that's confirmed but i think that that's sort of testing the waters with the pac-12 talking about being willing to play at uh, some noon games that one that may be the drill there you go you know how you change that win more football games right yep even though we're starting to spread the games out over the course of the day uh, you want to get back to the primetime window? Win more games. By the way, speaking of someone who won a bunch of games, hats off to our good friend, Cecile Renaud, Hall of Famer Cecile Renaud. Yes, I agree with that. I'd called many a volleyball match with her. I meant to mention that. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, coach Renaud, longtime volleyball coach here at Florida State, had great success, remains heavily involved in USA volleyball, and uh, continues to do 600 broadcast. 600 victories, 600 and something victories. First class human being uh, at the top of that list. No so question. congratulations uh, to, to Cecile Renaud, who is the, uh, why don't I give the official title, the 2020 USA Volleyball Hall of Famer, the Bertha Lucas all-time great coach. Congratulations. Well-deserved, well well-earned. A couple of Hall of Famers on the show. Plus, we had Cecile and Hugh Durham. We'll do this again next week right here on Front Row Knowles. Well played, Mr. Block. When it's killing me, when will I really see you all that I need to look inside? Come to believe that I better not leave before I get my chance to ride. When it's killing me, what do I really need? All that I need to look inside. Hey, oh, listen what I say, oh, come back.